I have a picture to show you that was taken just a week or so ago. Uh, some of you may recognize this family. Uh, that's Annie. And Annie, you may recognize her. She uh, often sings in our praise team on Sunday mornings. Some of you recognize Andy, uh, her husband. He's in charge of the uh, karate that we do on Wednesday nights in our kids' ministry. Faithful worker there. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Annie and Andy gave birth to uh, two little twins, Caleb and Olivia. And here they are. It's a beautiful picture of a family. And uh, they're celebrating. These are their first children uh, in their family. And I know that as a, a new parent, that when you give birth and when you have this little child and you're holding this child, you can't help but think about sort of dreams and hopes for the future for this baby. And in fact, one of the things we do at Calvary Church when we go through a baby dedication ceremony is that we ask parents to write a prayer for their children. And the point of the prayer is, is think through who do you want God to make this child into? And I'm sure Andy and Annie have dreams and hopes for Caleb and Olivia. And they're going to pray earnestly that God would make Caleb and Olivia into a man and woman of God that's following after God. And that's what we do with children is we, we see them not just as small babies, but we see them all grown up. And we want something for them. We want a relationship with Jesus. We want them to experience joy and peace, uh, good relationships with others, uh, the ability to engage in fulfilling work, uh, the ability to have fun and enjoy life. But the question for new parents is, is that after you look at these, this child that you're holding and you have this, this picture, or this hope or this dream for them, the question comes up, how do we get them there? <laughs> How do we get from here to there? And it's one thing to kind of imagine what it could be like to have a, your child all grown up with children of their own perhaps and going through life. But suddenly as a parent, you're struck with this confusion and this question. Okay, well, how do we get them there? What do we do? Well, last week we talked about the fact that God has a picture of our future that he gave to us. And last week we saw God paint in First Peter a picture of what our future is. If we're believers in Jesus and the future is, we are going to be obedient children on the day that Jesus returns. We are going to be free not only from the sins we've committed, but even the possibility of sinning. We will be rewarded by a just and righteous judge, our heavenly father, who sees all of the things that we've been doing in secret and will reward us openly. And we will be experiencing the blessing of relationships that death cannot end. Those friendships that we've begun here, those people that we have served and that we have loved, being able to see those relationships come to fruition and continue on for eternity. That's the picture of the future that God gave to us through First Peter last week. But that raises the question, how do we get there? <laughs> How do we get from where we are today to that picture of the future? Is there some role for me to play in this? Is there some role for you to play in this? Are we supposed to just sit back and let God do it and that's what's going to happen and we end up there? Or are we supposed to do something? 
And if we're supposed to do something, what is that thing that we're supposed to be doing to help make sure that that future picture that God has for us becomes a reality? Well, that's the question that I think God wants to answer for us today, and he wants to do so through his word. So if you would, please take a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and the first three verses. Peter writes, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now as we come to this passage of Scripture and we listen for what it is that God has to say to us today, the first question we want to ask as we think about how do we get from where we are today to this beautiful future that God has for us, is the question, do I have a role to play in this? Is there something I'm responsible for doing? If this is the future that God has laid out for me, is it my job simply to sit back and wait for that future to happen, that God's going to take care of all of this? Well, to answer that question, let's go back to uh, our thinking about Andy and Annie and their two beautiful new twin babies. When you think about babies, one of the really, really scary things is that when you have a child and the medical personnel give you that child and you put that child in a car seat and you get ready to go home, at some point, at least for me, it crossed my mind, they're letting me take this thing home? (laughs) Like they're not coming with me? Like... Where's the instruction manual? Like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? And all of a sudden, you know, we begin to think we become petrified and we begin to become afraid. And that's because we're used to stuff that humans have created. We're used to cars that you got to learn how to drive. We're used to toys that Christmas that have to be assembled that usually break within 24 hours. We're used to stoves that won't turn on by themselves unless you program them. But babies are created by God, which means then they're different than the stuff that we make. Babies have within them the inherent ability to grow. We think you got to get the formula exactly right. If I feed them, I have to feed them this much. I must burp them this many times. They have to sleep for this exact amount of time. And we get this thought pattern that somehow this is a very fragile thing. And if we don't do everything exactly right, this child is doomed. But you know what? Babies are designed to grow. That's what they do. That you, you just... They grow. You don't have to tell them how to do it. You don't have to teach them how to grow. They just, they grow. The same is true for Christians. When God gives you new birth through faith in Jesus Christ, he's creating life in you. And the life he creates in you and in me is not like the stuff we make. It's real life. And the point is Christians are designed to grow. 
We sometimes get petrified and think there's got to be this exact formula. I got to read the Bible this many times and pray this much and go to church. And if I get anything off from that formula, if it's something right on, then my Christian existence is doomed. But it doesn't work that way. We're designed to grow. That's what Christians do. You see, too many of us have seen an example of somebody who claims to be a Christian, but whose life is a train wreck. And we get to think that's the norm. It's not. You have to work pretty hard to keep a Christian from becoming more like Jesus. Because it's designed into who we are. We are a new creation, not of our own hands, but of what God is doing. Is there a role for us to play in the process? Of course there is. Babies need to drink milk in order to grow. An undernourished baby is not going to grow as well as a well-nourished baby. Yes, there is a role for us to play. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't be telling us something to do. But before we look at what the instructions are for us in participating in our growth, I just want to set the context that we are designed to succeed, not to fail. You don't have to try to make yourself grow as a Christian. That's the default state. The default state is growth. And so just to set the context, before we look at what Peter says, I want to tell you that God has set us up to succeed, not to fail. We don't have to try to make spiritual growth happen. It's going to happen. And what we're going to look at here is how we can participate in that process so that growth that occurs follows the pattern that God wants it to follow. So the question is, what's our role in the process? For two little babies, they don't have much role now, but their role will grow as they grow. What is our role as Christians so that we might end up at that future that God has painted for us? Well, Peter gives us two things. One thing to avoid and one thing to embrace. We look first at the thing to avoid if we're going to grow as believers. Verse 1, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Now, at first glance, this can just look like a random list of bad things. As if the point is, try to avoid bad stuff. But if you look closely, our translators have done a really good job to show us there are actually three groupings of words. The first group has only one word in it. It's the word malice. The second group has three words in it. Deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. And the third group has one word in it again, slander. So this is not just one long list. It is a list of three groups. The first group, with just one word, is the general category, malice. Malice basically means any sinful attitude or action. Any sinful attitude or action. And what Peter's saying up front is, look, sin hinders growth. 
Just like a baby who eats poison or is around sharp objects or plays with fire, there are a number of things that can hinder a baby's development. So Peter is saying, look, sin, any attitude or action that falls short of what God wants for us can hinder our growth. That's because sin leads to death and death impedes life. So God has created life in us, but if we choose the path of death, that will inhibit life from occurring. But you're saying, well, is that all we can say? Just try not to sin? Fortunately, we can be more specific than this because Peter is more specific. That first group, that word malice, is meant to introduce the next two groups because whereas malice is any attitude or action, group number two is a list of three attitudes to avoid. He says, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. Now these three have in common the fact that they all deal with falseness. They all have something to do with falseness. Deceit is trying to cover up something that you've done. Hypocrisy is pretending to be something that you're not. And envy is desiring something that God hasn't given you. All three of them are connected together and they all have this one attitude or this one idea of presenting something or focusing something that's not real or not true. Either covering up what we've done, pretending we're something that we're not, or desiring something that we don't have or God has not given to us. And it's those three attitudes that Peter has put together so that he can combine it with the third category, which is slander. Now, this is not an attitude. It's an action. But it's so interesting to me that of all the bad stuff in the Bible, all the stuff you could have put here, sexual immorality, greed, anger, all the stuff you could have put here, Peter picks one action for us to get rid of. Slander. Why would you pick slander? Well, if you think about it, slander is the action that goes with these three attitudes. Because what is slander? Slander is to speak evil of another person. Why? Because we want to tear them down. We want to take the focus off our own shortcomings and failings. And we want to bring everybody else down to our level. That if I can spread evil rumors, if I can speak poorly about my brother or sister in Christ, then I don't have to face the fact that there's some things in my life that aren't very good. See, all four of these things are all doing the same thing. They're taking the focus off of my shortcomings. Suppose I struggle with anger. Well, deceit is trying to cover up all the times I've had angry outbursts and not acknowledging those. Hypocrisy is me putting on some super spiritual front so that nobody knows I've got this problem with anger so that they may be so awed by how much I know about the Bible or how much I give or whatever I'm claiming about myself so they won't realize I got this problem in my life. Envy is thinking if I just had a better job, I wouldn't have the conditions which make me angry. And slander is 
If I can tear you down, then I don't have to think about my own shortcomings. So when Peter says the one thing to avoid is being dishonest with ourselves about our own shortcomings. That is the most fundamental thing when it comes to hindering our growth. The most important thing to know is that we have to be honest with ourselves about who we are. We have to be honest with ourselves about our shortcomings, about our failings. We all have them. We all have areas that we fall short of who God wants us to be. And what Peter is saying is the number one, the number one hindrance to spiritual growth, bar none, is being dishonest with ourselves about where we fall short. Of all the other things you could have listed, Peter says, here's the point, be honest with yourself. Peter could never have moved from being a stumbling block to being a solid rock if he hadn't been willing to acknowledge that he was a stumbling block. And so Peter says, the thing to avoid is lying to ourselves or trying to take the focus off of our own shortcomings and put them on someone else. What's the thing we're supposed to embrace in order to grow? Verse 2 is the command. Crave pure spiritual milk. Crave pure spiritual milk. Now that seems pretty straightforward to us. If a baby's going to grow, give the baby milk. But the question is, well, what's the milk that Peter's talking about? And why would you have to command someone to crave something? Like, aren't cravings things that just kind of happen naturally? Like, what's the purpose of commanding someone to crave something? Well, let's unpack this metaphor to try to understand what Peter is saying. First, what is spiritual milk? Well, verse 3 gives us the answer. It's not the Word of God. You can sometimes think that often from other passages where the image of milk is used. It's broader than that. Look at verse 3. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Well, he's still on this tasting metaphor. Crave spiritual milk. Well, what is the spiritual milk? It's the experiences of the Lord's presence. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, basically pure spiritual milk is every experience we have of God's presence. Now God's word is one of the major ways that we experience God's presence. But when God is present to us through prayer, we're tasting God. When God is present to us through a word of encouragement from a friend, we are tasting the Lord. When God is present to us even in a word of rebuke, God is present and we are tasting him. When God gives us a work assignment that's too much for us and comes alongside of us and supports us in it, we are tasting the Lord. So it's not just God's word, although that's part of it. What Peter is saying is crave pure, pure spiritual milk means crave experiences of the Lord's presence. Crave interactions with God. Be addicted, if you will, to God. Now, you may be thinking, okay, so what you're saying is, if I'm supposed to grow spiritually, 
I should read the Bible, pray, be in community, experience God. Well, duh, isn't that what we're supposed to do? That's what I always thought we were supposed to do. It's true. But there's more to it than that. You see, there's a difference between reading the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible and reading the Bible or reading the Bible for good discipline or reading the Bible because you're part of a Bible study. There's a difference between that and reading the Bible to meet with God. It's very different. You see, a couple of weeks ago, I told you if you're going through suffering, pick up the book of Psalms and start reading until you find your psalm. Now, many of you have come up to me since that point and told me, I found my psalm. And you were overjoyed, just like I've been overjoyed when I find my psalm in my situation. And the reason is, is because in the middle of that, God spoke to you. That all of the rest of it, that was just reading. But in the middle of that psalm, you felt like God's voice was speaking to you. That's different than reading for the sake of reading. Now hear me right, there's nothing wrong with sitting down and going, today I'm going to read a chapter of scripture because it's a good discipline. That's great, keep doing that. But what I'm saying is, look, you can't be addicted to the Bible. You realize that? You can't be addicted to the Bible. You can be addicted to God. And when God speaks to you through his word, that's the spiritual milk. And so when you sit down today, whether you're suffering or not suffering, and you open up God's word and you say, God, I want to meet with you through your word. I want you to speak. When it happens, and it will, you will have tasted God. You will have drunk spiritual milk. And Peter's point is, look, it's not just pray for the sake of praying or pray so that you can get on with the meal. His point is, meet with God in prayer. I'm going to stay here, Lord, praying to you until I meet with you. This is why I said to you at the beginning of the sermon, what did you come here needing from God? Because it's very different to come to church simply for the sake of coming to church. It's a good tradition. It's something we're supposed to do. The people around me will notice if I'm not there. And coming to church because God is here and I need something from Him. I need a word of encouragement. I need community. I need to experience God's presence in a friend who comes alongside of me and tells me that I'm not the person I need to be. I need to meet the Lord that way. And when you come to church and you meet God here, that's very different than simply saying, well, it's Sunday. This is what our family does. We go to church. And Peter's point is, When you begin to taste God, not just little sips, but actually taste him. When you open his word and you hear him speak to you, when he meets you in prayer, when you come and participate amongst the community of believers and he's here, when someone comes up to you and speaks a word of encouragement and you hear God's voice in that, it's addictive. You want more of it. You want to go back to his word and you want to say, tell me something else. Speak to me again. When he shows up miraculously in prayer, you say, look, I want more of this. When he meets with you in church and you've had a ridiculously bad week and something terrible is going on and you come and hear an amazing testimony or the choir sings your song and God is suddenly here in the midst of the assembly and tears are rolling down your cheeks or you stand up, you say, I want more of this. 
That's what Peter's saying. Crave the presence of God. You already know that God is good. You've already tasted Him. You know that He's wonderful, that He alone satisfies, that that God-shaped vacuum only He can fill. Peter's saying, drink away. Have as much as you want. Because it's the one thing in the world that actually satisfies. You drink deeply from sex, from alcohol, money, popularity, beauty. It'll feel like it tastes good for a short time, but it will leave you hollow and empty. Peter says, drink deeply of the Lord. And you'll find in good times and in bad times, when you're doing well, when you're doing poorly, when life's fantastic, when it doesn't matter. The presence of God will satisfy your soul. Andy and Annie, the couple that we put up the picture of with the new twins, Caleb and Olivia, about a year ago, they were sitting right down here, this section, uh, in the second or third row, I can't remember. I was preaching on 1 Samuel chapter 1. It's a story of Hannah. Hannah desperately wanted a baby. She was unable to have a baby because her womb was closed. And she began to pray and she prayed earnestly. And you remember in the story where Hannah's praying so earnestly and meeting with God in such a powerful way that there was actually a physical reaction. She was rocking back and forth and Eli the priest thought she was drunk because she was so engaged with God in prayer. Well, as Andy and Annie sat there listening to that sermon, they heard God speaking to them. You see, they had found out that medically it was probably going to be impossible for them to have biological children. That although they had been trying, it didn't look like it was going to be possible. But in the middle of that moment, when they came to church that Sunday, they heard God speaking to them saying, come and ask me. Come and ask me. And so after the service, we prayed. We prayed not just out of routine way and say, hey, it's the end of this church service. Let's pray together. We prayed. And asked the Lord, look God, you seem to be using the story of Hannah to encourage Andy and Annie to ask you for a baby. And they did. And he responded. And here we are a year later, they have two twins that God has miraculously given to them. And Peter's point is, look, Andy and Annie, isn't God good? Haven't you seen his power? Don't you want to drink again? Don't you want to come back to church and meet with God again? Don't you want to hear God's word spoken to you again? Don't you want to engage with God in prayer again? That's Peter's point. Become addicted to God. That's how we grow because he's got life in him. And the more we drink of him, the more we begin to grow. Peter's painted for us a beautiful picture of the future. A future in which we're obedient children, in which our heavenly father is pouring out his rewards for our faithful service. A picture in which we are standing before him with all the relationships that we formed here in the body of Christ to go on into eternity to enjoy one another's presence. And Peter is saying, look, if you want to get there, God's going to get you there. But your role and my role is to do two things. Be honest with yourself about your shortcomings. Be honest with yourself. If it's pride, if it's greed, if it's anger, 
If it's lost, stop worrying about everybody else. Stop pointing out everybody else's failings. Stop trying to hide your own failings. Just be honest with yourself. And get addicted to God. Through the meeting of His people, where God is present. Through God's word in which He speaks. Through times of prayer in which He is near to us through the word of encouragement or rebuke that a friend might offer, through an assignment at work that God might give to you, which looks like a completely secular company, but God has given you that assignment so he can meet you in the middle of that. During the school day, meet with God, experience his presence, and you will become addicted to him. And the more deeply you drink of God's presence, the more you will grow into becoming the Christian that has that future waiting for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are good when there's nothing good in me. Lord God, our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. God, we are babies, but we want to grow up into men and women of your name. Lord, we want to allow the life that you've put in us to grow. Lord, many of us here, Lord God, have stunted growth that we have been drinking stuff that's not milk not pure spiritual milk, and we've not grown, Lord. We've been lying to ourselves. Instead of just acknowledging we're babies, we're not perfect, we aren't there yet, we try to pretend that we are. God, I pray right now that you would break down the shield, that you would break down those barriers, those defenses. Lord God, let us be honest. You already know that we struggle with anger. You already know that we struggle with deceit. You already know, God, that we struggle with pride. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves about where we are so that you can bring us out of it. God, forgive us for thinking that we can save ourselves if nobody would just find out. Lord, we can't save ourselves. You come save us. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to give us experiences of your presence. Lord, I praise you for Andy and Annie. What a great encouraging story, Lord God. You're not just meeting Hannah in her need. You're meeting us in our need and you're answering in miraculous ways. Lord, I pray for any who are here who are looking to the things of the world to satisfy them. Lord, may they see that you alone bring satisfaction. And God, for those who have begun to drink of the, of the milk that you provide, Lord God, I pray that you would simply create within us a craving for more, that we might hunger and thirst for righteousness, for your presence with us. God, would you do this so that the future you have for us might come to pass? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.